Husky fans, this is Max Cerullo, and you are listening to another episode of Yes UConn, the podcast where we talk about the greatest UConn basketball games ever played, and occasionally talk about the worst basketball play- games ever played, because uh, I think Saturday's game might qualify. Boy, that was uh, that was something. Man, what a what a disaster. <laughs> Um, yeah, needless to say, uh, UConn's return to the NCAA tournament did not quite go as planned. Uh, they lost in the first round to Maryland, and uh, it was a historically bad shooting performance. But, you know, uh, Tim Fontenot's here, and uh, Tim, I guess just, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about just, like, the season as a whole, but it, it was kind of have you been dealing with the same sense of like trying to balance like rational brain being like hey this was a great season against man that was a really crappy ending i'm not the only one in that boat right no you're not the only one i mean i've been feeling that way ever since halftime pretty much because that was just such a miserable experience after such a great season of all the highs of being back and seeing the growth of this team in year three of hurley and seeing how they how they galvanized after Book Knight got injured, despite some of the losses there, uh, seeing how they were after he came back and rolling into the Big East tournament. And then, you know, these last couple games, but especially the Maryland game, just really took the wind out of the sails a little bit. But you can't let it you can't let it affect, you know, how you feel about the growth of this team since Hurley came in here. You can't let it affect the fact that we're back in the Big East conference, that this this team has a really bright future. That game just sucked. And I've seen a, I've seen a lot of people talking about the Iowa State game in 2012 as kind of a cop for that one, and yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah that feels about right. Yeah, I mean, in that yeah. season, you know, these seasons had very different tones. Like that season was just like you know, you just knew the whole time something was just off. And this year wasn't yeah. like that. I mean, well, it at least not in the sense there was a huge sense of optimism all season long, even if the there was also a sense of like man like if only this team could just get it together but there are good reasons why but you know either way um so basically our, our plan today is we're, we're not going to dwell too much on that game we're going to talk about it a little bit but you know we got you know a lot to talk about here you know UConn season is over unfortunately it was a really awesome ride it was a really fun season I, I think that's the main thing like the legacy of this season was just like We've had we've gotten used to seeing some really bad basketball, and this season was a great refresher on what like a real UConn season is supposed to look like and feel like. But also, admittedly, it wasn't perfect, and there's a, a lot of room for growth. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, I want to give the, the the women some good talk because, uh, by the way, they're still playing. Um, you know, we still have hopefully a great tournament run to look forward to there, and uh, possibly a very interesting tournament. Like. You know, un- this is the first UConn's women tournament run where I honestly feel like UConn is going to play some interesting and good games at every game going forward. Whereas in the past, it often feels like it's like wake me up until wake me up when we're at the final four. Um, so, yeah, we'll talk about the women, and you know, obviously, there's a lot of other uh, you know issues to talk about with that as well, uh, both related to UConn and with the sport more specifically. And then, uh, you know, we'll take a little bit of a, a, a look in the to the future. Um, you know, UConn basketball has a. Is there? They're in an interesting spot uh, with terms of who might be coming back, who might be leaving, and uh, you know, kind of what the options on the roster are. So, uh, Tim, I'll leave it to you. Do you have any particular place you want to start? You want to just get Maryland out of the way now, or dive into something a little more? Uh, uh, you know, we may as well just get it out of the way. I think that's what's uh, what's forefront on everyone's minds right now. Yeah. So um, I should mention too, we're recording this on a Monday night uh, as as we speak. Creighton now has it appears to be a twenty one point lead over Ohio, 
And uh, Maryland will be tipping off against Alabama in about an hour from now. Uh, that you that could have and should have been UConn's, uh, you know, round of 32 tip, but you know it is what it is. Uh, shout out to Creighton, by the way, if the, you know, barring a spectacular collapse, it looks like they're going to the uh, Sweet 16 for the first time in 47 years. Isn't that how how wild is that? Like, can you believe it's been Amazing. that long for them? <laughs> Amazing, especially you know with some of the great teams they've had in the past decade plus or so. And then, obviously, after what we've talked about late at the late in the end of this season, with you know, I've said on here a bunch. I did. I was not impressed by them until the Big East tournament. Uh, I thought that they were really heading for a spiral, especially after what happened with McDermott. Um, and then you lose to Georgia. You get destroyed by Georgetown in the championship game. You come back. You avoid a you you avoid a potential five twelve upset against a team that a lot of people like to beat you. And now you're running it up on Ohio and get a huge game against Gonzaga coming up, which will, uh, you know, a lot of people will be looking at that game as, uh, as one to watch in the Sweet 16 for sure. Yeah. I mean, after the, after UConn lost to them, I, I definitely was like, okay, I, I definitely sports hate Creighton now, but you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll respect to them. You know, UConn spent all this time in the American where like everyone would just lose and, you know, you know, no tournament yeah. units to go around. <laughs> so shout out to Creighton and Villanova for getting the job done and representing the Big East. Uh, you know, for the record, at the moment, I think uh, the Big East has more teams in the uh, Sweet 16 than I, I currently, I guess the the Big Ten doesn't have anybody there yet, do they? I guess Maryland and uh, Michigan are the last team standing. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, by the more, by the t- and by the uh, by the time people hear this, that it's entirely possible one or both of them could be out too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I picked LSU, so hopefully, uh, hopefully at least one of them, and then, you know, think we're all really mad about Maryland still. So, are yeah, you well, for Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, let me tell you this: it definitely takes the sting off of it knowing that UConn lost to one of the top two teams in the Big Ten. So, you know, <laughs> they looked like it. Man, is is it they just did. me, or did Maryland look way better than we were all told? Yeah, I think that. Uh, I think they definitely proved that they were a better team than their seed or their record reflected. Uh, that was a that was a tough team to to play against, and you know, look, it was frustrating because UConn could have easily easily run it up with the amount of shots that they missed. Like it was unbelievable. UConn was destroying them inside, and that was that was impressive because Maryland looked like a big physical team, and so for obviously UConn, much of the same and. Has been great on the on the glass all season. Has been a really great shot blocking team. Has played really well defensively and has really rode that defense to success. But you know they held them under. You know they it wasn't a it wasn't a blow. They only held them to sixty three points, which was you know you back them for a chance to win in that situation. But Maryland just hit what was it? What were they? Nine of eighteen from three. And so many of those nine were a hand in their face that, you know, very low percentage shots, like very low chance of going in. And Ayala and Wiggins were hitting them all night. Yeah. And, you know, but story for UConn was definitely just the 44 missed shots. And, you know, every, you know, we've talked about how, yes, it's great that UConn's one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country. The problem is they have to be because they miss Every first chance, every second chance, every third chance. It takes forever for them to get the ball in the hoop because they can't shoot. And we knew it was going to come back to haunt them eventually. We knew it was going to catch up with them. And it caught up with them in the NCAA tournament. It was, they were getting looks. They, 
you know, most of the looks were horrendous. They were settling for a lot of shots, but when they did get an inside, they just couldn't put it in. And if they put it in, what, five times out of those 44, you're, you're playing Alabama tonight. Yeah, you know, it's that first half was just, like, shockingly bad. Like, it, I don't know, just, <laughs> just like, it, it's, it was, I was watching it happen. I'm just like, this is legitimately the worst game I've, I think I've seen UConn play since like 2000, you know, the, the really bad days of like 2017, 18. And like, yeah. all they had to do was just play like kind of bad in the first half and they would have had a chance, but instead they just played like, just, it was, it was, it was horrifying. <laughs> and now yeah. the more I look at the box score, the more angry I get, like, let's like run through some of the numbers, Maryland. They yeah, went nine for 18 from three. And they went 22 for 43 for the game. So they're over 50% from the field, you know, in both ranges. So that's bad. So obviously the defense, we should say the defense in the second half actually was like pretty good. They, they, especially in the last 10 minutes, they, they gave themselves a chance, but in the end, like you got to do better than that. Second, UConn made 21 field goals in the whole game. They had 22 offensive rebounds. What are, what are we doing? How is that possible? They, they went 21 for 65 from the field. They ended up shooting 32% from the game, which seems high, if we're being honest. Like, yeah. you know, for, they, they out-rebound Maryland 40 to 29 for the game. That seems low. Like, it, for a while, it was like, yeah. like, it felt like it was just an absolute, like, butt-kicking on the glass. And yet, every time you have, you know, you get, like, four offensive rebounds in one possession, and then, like, everybody takes turns missing the bunny. Like, what what, what are you doing here? Like, you know, geez. And then you just go down the list, like, you know, all of Maryland's guys were, were producing in some way, you know, Ayala, I mean, what a, what a, what a baller that guy is, you know, 23 points, you know, eight for 14 from the field, three for five from three, made all four of his th- free throws, five rebounds, two, two assists, three steals, j- just, you know, just crazy defense. I mean, he was, he was a beast. And then, you know, everyone yeah, else. to be him, right? Yeah. Geez. And then, you know, Wiggins. It had to be him. Putnam yeah. science. Oh, sorry. I was, I was just, um. I was gonna go on a go whole yeah. thing about him. I was just no, about to just, just run down the list. Just like Wiggins, fourteen yeah, points. No, Scott, twelve. It. You know, Marcel was the defensive monster as advertised. You know, him him fouling out felt like a big deal, and then it, and it wasn't just because you know yeah. the rest of their guys are good. But yeah, no. So go yeah, go on, go off on Ayala. That guy, man. No, I just I'm watching the game and I'm just like it figures it had to be him, the Putnam Science Academy kid who was committed to UConn. Then you know things pop up and all you know his you know he deals with a bunch of stuff and then he ends up going to maryland to be close to home and sure enough comes back around and is a huge reason why uconn is out of this tournament but it it was frustrating especially you know i'm looking at the box score and the two things that pop out to me are uh, one amazingly for uconn a team that usually fouls a ton held them to held maryland to 14 free throws which is one of the keys to beating Maryland is to hold them under 20 free throws because they win a lot of their games at the line. And obviously they were 10 to 14, so when you look at the numbers, yeah, they those 10 points certainly help, but you know, they did a good job of not fouling. The problem is they just got into early foul trouble with the bigs, which is story of the season. You know, Adama Sonogo comes out and once again looks like he's ready to eat, ready to have a huge game. He ends up only having four points in 16 minutes because he was on the bench for the last 13 and a half minutes of the first half. And I think not having him on the floor, again, changes the whole game. 
you lose one of the most dynamic parts of your offense. When you're able to get the ball inside to him, it opens up so many other opportunities, and then he can just go to the rim himself and eat everybody. But you lose that, and Maryland then has the opportunity to go out, stop you from scoring, and you know open up an 11-point lead at halftime, and look where it gets you. It, honestly, it felt even bigger than that. Like it's crazy. Yeah. You know, this is you know, it's one thing you can say about UConn all season, but in this game especially, they never got blown out, and they always competed. They definitely kept it within striking distance. But man, it was just yeah, bad performances all around, and you know, like like Tyrese Martin, one for ten from the field, like that is shocking stuff. I mean, he had eleven rebounds. I mean, he he was that was a, that was like basically like your prototypical quote unquote good bad Tyrese Martin game. You're like, yeah, man, if this guy, I mean, this guy, great player. UConn is so lucky to have him. But man, just, it, it, if only if only this is this is a trend with him. Like if only he just like make a few more of those easy layups and you're looking at a possible superstar there but yeah you know. well that's why he had 11 rebounds is because he was rebounding his own misses <laughs> it's it's true it's so bad but man <laughs> he great you know shout out to tyrese martin he yukon would not have had the season they had without him but not no, not not awesome. as not as great as day um you know but james book night and yeah we should just transition to a bigger book night conversation he played 40 minutes um you know never came off the court and honestly not great uh and you know maryland made him not great they, they did a great job covering him but you know you look through it you know 15 points three turnovers you know five rebounds i guess you know only six for 16 from the field he, and one for six from three like they they kept him out of you know he, he they kept him away from the free throw line for the most part i i think he took his first shots like it was like well into the second half and he ends up only going two for six from the line I don't know. It was a, it was a weird book night game, um, and unfortunately, like in all likelihood, probably his last at UConn. Um, you know, I, I'm not convinced that he was ever really right after his injury, uh, but it, it's like feels like kind of an Andre Drummond vibe, where like he's gonna leave UConn, and you're gonna maybe like wish that there was more there. But obviously, he's destined for hopefully a great long career in the NBA. So. I don't know what's what's what what are what are your thoughts on him and uh, I guess kind of where things stand as far as kind of now that in all likelihood his UConn career is probably over. Yeah, you know I think you summed up his game really well, um, especially crediting Maryland for making him look as poor as he did. Um, look, every time he got the ball and every time he looked to drive to the hoop, they were double triple teaming him, and you know not only that, but they were making it so that he had a really hard time finding a pass for a teammate, finding someone who was open to getting to a good position to score. But when he did, you know, the problem we've talked about all year, the lack of a second score behind Booknight, because, you know, he only has 15 points. RJ Cole goes three for 12 from the field. All three of those were three-pointers. And we've talked about how streaky he can be from three and what he's capable of when he gets to the hoop. You know, he can, you know, he's capable of having a 20-point night, but... You know, him and Tyrese Martin just, you know, combined, they were 4 of 24 from the field. You can't have that between the two guys who are meant to be the other two scorers. And, of course, as I said, Sonogo not being on the floor and ended up only 2 of 7 in 16 minutes. Um, look, Book Knight overall, you're absolutely right. He hasn't looked the same since his injury, his original injury. And I think the last two games, since the DePaul incident, since the, the cramps or what they ended up being, it he just hasn't looked right at all. And... One of the things about James Booknight is when he's not on, it really starts to show. And, you know, 
I hate some of the stuff about body language, but you can just tell, like, the way he the way he carries himself on the floor, you can tell he's just not feeling it. He knows something's not right, but he's just, you know, when it when he's cold, he's cold, and that's just what it felt like again against Maryland. And if this if this is the end, I'm I'm sorry for my cat. Yes, <laughs> right now. Um, it's all good. If this is if yeah, if this is the end of James Booknight at UConn, look, we saw a lot of great potential. We saw a lot of what he's capable of and what's going to make him a really good scoring guard at the next level. But you know, some of the conversation, like, I mean, I don't think anyone was ever really having this conversation, but if you were looking for him to be a Shabazz, a Kemba, a Rip, like, it wasn't going to happen in two years at UConn. It just, that wasn't going to be the case. We were just hoping for a prolific, exciting player who, you know, helped us transition back into this Big East life who, you know, was capable of leading us on a run, and that run didn't come, but we did get a lot of great moments from James Booknight and a lot of stuff that made us really excited, especially being back in this league. And, you know, there's there are guys, you know, behind him who are going to, who are going to carry that torch now, you know, guys who are already there, like Andre Jackson, who we saw flashes from, not as much as, you know, as Book Knightley in his freshman year, but Jackson's got the quality. And then you have, you know, Russell Diggins coming in next season. You have Corey Floyd the year after him. So there's a lot of reason for excitement. And, you know, James Book Knight's a big reason for, for that excitement. You know, it didn't end up coming, it didn't end up, didn't end up being postseason success, but, you know, we still got two, two mostly fun years out of him yeah no you know what i think uconn fans have been blessed and like spoiled with most of the program's greats have just been like just crazy successful college winners and you know what a lot of programs have great players come through who ultimately don't accomplish that much in terms of like championships like you know i'm sure you could go down the list of duke unc you know uh you know kentucky there's tons of guys who like just kind of had okay like you know tournament success who went on to become great in the pros and honestly like if that's book night's destiny then you know so be it like you know he came to UConn and he just helped elevate the program back to closer to the level that we expect it to be. And there's value in having players in the NBA. Like, you know, Andre Drummond played like, I don't know, like 20 games at UConn. And, you know, guess what? When, whenever people talk about him and, you know, refer to like, you know, Oh, you know, he went to UConn. Well, that matters. Like that's UConn hasn't had any NBA guys like since Shabazz basically with, you know, a couple of like, you know, two or three game cameos from some of the other guys who have kind of been in and out of the G League. So, you know, Book Knight's going to, you know, Book Knight's got a bright future ahead of him. And if his best basketball is coming in the NBA, then that's still valuable to UConn, even if it, you know, it's a little unfortunate that they couldn't get more out of him here. Um, and, you know, frankly, that's not entirely anyone's fault. You know, he got hurt and there's a pandemic. You know what? Yeah. It, that's it, what it, it's just that's tough. You, you that it's not necessarily a recipe for, you know, I, I'd be curious to see how other Yukon greats might have handled similar circumstances is all I'll say. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really well said. And, you know, we we knew he was going to be a two year player and now he has a chance to go and focus entirely on becoming a, a top scorer in, at the pro level. And I think that's I think that's what's best for him. And I think that's what we're going to see. And, you know, um, a team in the middle of the first round, maybe late in the lottery, maybe slightly after the lottery picks is going to get a really good prospect and a guy who can be a really great, can have a really great career. Yeah. I wouldn't mind the Celtics grabbing him. They could sure use a score like him. (laughs) 
So but anyway, well, uh, I'm sure if I get the one of the McDonough's on the podcast, we could have a whole conversation about that. But anyway, um, before we move on, just wanted to give a quick shout out to Jalen Gaffney, who absolutely played his butt off. Who's like really the only yeah. guy who was good for, you know, well, Whaley too. Um, but Gaffney was Gaffney was was awesome. He, he helped keep UConn in the game. Twelve points, four for six shooting. He got to he was actually getting to the rim and finishing, you know, he. Gaffney didn't have the best season, but I'm I'm stoked to see what his potential is. He, he's uh he's gonna be a good player. So anyway, um yeah. So uh well, actually, Tim, how about this? Do you want do you want to talk a uh, big picture UConn season as a whole, or do you want to get it get into the the fun roster talk? Um, let's talk about the season, and then I think you know we can transition nicely into uh into some roster talk from there. Yeah. So I guess the question is, uh, you know everybody's going to be having some conversation like this is like, was this season a success? And so let's kind of run through it. UConn finished third in the big East in the first year back. They reached the conference semifinals. They made the NCAA tournament and they lost in the first round in relatively disappointing fashion. What, what, uh, I guess like if I, you know, take us back to September or whatever, if I tell you that that's the outcome of the season, how do you feel about that? At the beginning of September, I'm just happy that we had a whole season to talk about. If I'm being perfectly honest, true, I mean, <laughs> very true. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just been such a weird year that you know between you know this team dealt with a bunch of pauses because of COVID. We you know he dealt with the fact you know are we going to even have a season? We I, in November we only knew five Big East games on the schedule because we were in a wait and see mode um, in terms of what the rest of the season was going to look like. So, you know, I, I'm happy they were able to get in a nice non-conference game against USC, a game that they were able to win. Uh, a very ugly game, but you had a really a solid early season performance against a team that is, you know, is showing well in the NCAA tournament, a team with a second team All-American on it uh, that Josh Carlton did outstanding against. Um, one of my favorite performances of the season. But look, in terms of, you know, how they did, like you said, they finished third in the Big East. That was huge. Uh, we kind of set that as the benchmark, and they met it. And you know, if they didn't, if they didn't lose Book Knight in the middle of the season, I think you can say that it. They looked like a team who would have only lost to Creighton and Villanova, which is what we said at the beginning of the year was kind of the expectation that this team should be able to beat everyone and compete with those teams on a given day. Well job done in all aspects except losing to St. John's because I'm pretty sure they beat everyone else that they lost to at some point during the season um and they look, the and they, tur- they only got one shot at St. John's so it's like you know exactly it is what it is exactly which was frustrating um the the game against Creighton in the tournament look it sucked but we knew with with book night coming out of the game the night before he looked really off and again I think you know, this was a team that was really book night dependent for a lot of the season, and with him being injured, you know that that set the team back a little bit. But we also saw glimpses of guys able to step up, and it just it didn't come with the consistency we would have liked. But we saw R.J. Cole really grow into his role during the season. We saw Tyrese Martin is going to be a massive player for this team in his senior season next year. You know, Adama Sunogo is continues to grow and if he stays out of foul trouble he is a big east defensive player of the year contender every season that he's here um you know again jalen gaffney didn't always show it but had a lot of 
you know, had a lot of really good games this season. And, you know, there's, they didn't get far in the NCAA tournament, obviously. But it's nice to be able to look – again, going back to this, I think we've said this a bunch on, on the podcast throughout the season. Like, we're looking at some of the negatives that we're talking about. And it's like, yeah, but it feels nice to be able to talk about these negatives again. You know, this was a team that was in obscurity for years because of the American and a team that went through three straight losing seasons. And now here they are, and we're talking about the expectation being competing for Big East championships and going far in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, going forward, that's going to be the expectation every single season. And it feels good. It feels right. And, you know, with the team that they're going to have next year, you got to you gotta like the chances of them you know, performing at a high level. Yeah, this season, I think, was unequivocally a success. Uh, but granted, also the the first step in, you know, what we hope will be a multi-year process. You know, where they were three years ago was just basically like a, a program that was no better than a mid-major. Now, you know, last year they started poorly in a, ba- in a bad conference and finished strong. And we all felt good about the direction they were going. This year, they join a better conference and they, you know, for the most part, you know, I won't say they dominated. They didn't dominate the Big East by any stretch, but they consistently proved that they were an upper echelon team in a good conference. And admittedly, the Big East was down this year, but still, it's it was a better conference than the American. So, you know, every night you saw UConn competing at a higher level against better competition. And so when we saw them playing poorly, you know, it's partially a reflection of like, hey, look, look, like. They were, they were better this year than they were last year, period. And, you know, some of the struggles are just the product of an elevated level of competition and an elevated level of expectations. So, you know what? It's good that we see them for what they are, which is an improving team that's far from a finished product. They had a lot of flaws this year. I think it's we were waiting for them to, I guess, turn into what we thought they'd be. And by the end of the season, they kind of did a little bit. But if we're being honest, what we saw in Creighton and what we saw against Maryland was it's kind of who they were like, you know, that's just the team that they were this year and yeah. for, for better or worse. And that's okay. Like, you know, that doesn't mean the season wasn't a success. It just means that they're not quite where they want to be yet. And that's fine. You know, it's going to think about it. This, like some of the, some of the key contributors on this team. And this is why, you know, as much as people might be upset sometimes about the X's and O's of Dan Hurley and stuff like that, like there's a lot of reason to be optimistic about the future of this program is you look in Isaiah Whaley and Tyler Polly were not only two of the most important players on this team this year, they ended up winning Big East awards for their performance this season. These are guys who came in during the Kevin Ollie era, during the worst part of our of our time there, and coming in after the first year of a losing a first losing season out of what would end up being three. You know, Isaiah Whaley's minutes fluctuated throughout those first two years and even into his junior year. All of a sudden, by the end of last season, he's one of the most important contributors. And this year, arguably the most important contributor and wins co-defensive player of the year in the Big East. Tyler Polly, you know, same thing, then tears his ACL last year. Just as he's starting to get hot, ends up being the sixth man of the year this year. And Josh Carlton takes on a reduced role. Like, we we were in these last three years, we were in a situation where you know, Josh Carlton isn't the most talented player on the floor. Like we know that, but he was playing and he was playing a lot for this team in those first three years. Now he takes on a, a minimal role compared to that. But when he came in, 
he was really putting in important minutes against USC, against an All-American, against the best teams in the Big East. And when you needed him to step up, he did. These are guys who are, they came in AAC caliber players. They came in as Kevin Ollie players. But they were key contributors on a UConn team that came back to the Big East, got back to the NCAA tournament, and was competing for a conference title. So, you know, if those are guys who are able to step in and and help UConn succeed, you know, when Hurley has a full slate of his guys, when he's able to develop the team that he really, really wants out there, you know, watch out. So I feel like that's a good. This is a good point to mention that we may not have seen the last of those guys. It's an open yeah. question. It remains to be seen. Like, if they want to come back, they have the ability to do so. So, I think this was a question that I had. A little, I was a little unsure of. So, I, I did the research, and the they can come back without taking up a roster spot. But like, you know, in the traditional sense. So, like, if Isaiah Whaley wants to come back, he can come back, and it doesn't affect any of the other things. So, it doesn't affect the incoming freshmen, and more importantly, it doesn't affect you know what happens, Faye. We should probably get to clear this up right now. They have an open roster spot right now because Javante Brown transferred. And if James right. Booknight leaves for the NBA, as we expect, that's two. And, you know, I mean, there's, you know, going to be discuss- there's going to be speculation that, uh, you know, Brendan Adams could theoretically transfer to he's, he's graduated. And, you know, obviously his path to playing time is, you know, there is a likelihood that he could transfer to, you know, pursue a master's and, you know, maybe take on a bigger role at a different school. I mean, that's, you know, it would be irresponsible to speculate. That's totally his call. And we're, for our purposes, we're just going to say, assume Book Knight is gone. You know, we're not going to talk about Adams and, you know, that situation. So UConn will have at least probably two scholarships to work with next year. But Whaley, Pauly, and and Carlton, they're coming back would not fill those spots. So, like, they could add two grad transfers or whoever and have Isaiah Whaley and whoever back and have the freshmen come in. That's all on the table. So, let's, uh, yeah, so I guess this is a first things first. Like, I mean, Whaley, we, we can agree. If, if Whaley, well, especially if Whaley, I keep saying him because, like, could you imagine next year's team with Whaley back? I mean, my God. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I, I was picturing in my mind, like, if you were having me pick one of those guys who I would really hope was on the roster next year, like, as much as I love all three, Isaiah Whaley would be the guy. Yeah, and, you know, I, I was for a while, up until, like, earlier today, I was kind of under the impression that, like, they would need an open spot to get him. So I was like, you know, man, it would be so great if, like, Whaley could, like, take Brown's spot or whoever. And then maybe, you know, if Book Knight leaves, then maybe, you know, Paul, maybe even Polly could stick around and take Book Knight's spot. But no, it's like, that's, it's, they, it's all good. And, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Carl, Carl I, I just, I, I exclude Carlton from this just because, you know, him lose, you know, losing all those minutes would seem like if he decided he wanted to continue playing college basketball, it would be more likely he'd transfer. But, like, that's on the table, too. Like, Josh Carlton does not have to just be done with college basketball either. And obviously, I mean, no. if he decided to come back to UConn, that would be, frankly, that would be that would be really, really cool on his, you know, and really it would speak volumes as just to what kind of a person he is. I, I If I were in his shoes, I don't think I would. <laughs> just because, like... <laughs> You know, you're now all of a sudden you're competing with a healthy Akuka Cook, who, by the way, also will be back next year. We hope. Yeah. <laughs> you know, then you I think know. we keep forgetting about him too. Like, or I, mean, I know we're not. He's in the back of our heads. But when we look at how UConn 
you know, how UConn played this season, that was also a huge thing hanging over them was Noah Cook a Cook. Yeah. So anyway, needless to say, you know, Sonogo, a Cook, possibly Whaley, and then I guess Samson Johnson, I guess, would factor into the mix too. And I get Richie Springs, I guess, theoretically too, like, it's it doesn't it doesn't necessarily seem like that's a that's a competition that Carlton would factor in to you know very much but I don't know yeah. the the point is if he decides to come back you know this this is the spot for him it's you know wouldn't play into these other discussions we're having so anyway shout out to the seniors um would love to see you know you know whoever comes back that would be dope um yeah. And yeah, awesome. and incoming freshman, you know, Jordan Hawkins is going to be a stud. Rasul Diggins, I think, is, is, is certainly the strongest Twitter game I've ever seen in a recruit. So yeah. <laughs> based on what I've seen, uh, like his highlight, see, the kid can play too. And Johnson, I I, I think he's going to, from what I understand, it sounds like he's like an uh, kind of an un, underrated, unheralded kid who's going to show up and we're all just going to be like, oh, okay, <laughs> here we go. This kid's, yeah. this kid's good. <laughs> so, um, yeah. How how do you think UConn should uh, fill those uh, open spots? You know, you know Brown and Booknight. Those are those are two. They could, uh, to the best of my knowledge, they're not currently recruiting anyone else in the class of twenty twenty one. So probably it would be a transfer. Do you have any particular thought on who or what sort of player they should uh, shoot for? Um, well, in terms of um, in terms of like the roster breakdown, like not really thinking about positions or anything, but. I know uh, a lot of people will have been interested with Trey Mitchell uh, possibly transferring from UMass. So six um, nine, he's a center. He's a big guy. If and he had a really good season for UMass: eighteen point eight points, seven point two rebounds. Um, that's the kind of guy you want. Like that, I think he could be an excellent contribution. Um, I think would it, would a transfer have to sit out next year? I forget where we stand I on the. I don't believe. The rule. I don't believe so. Um, but I'm truthfully, I'm not totally sure. Uh, I guess it would probably. Yeah. So I, I'm under the impression that if they brought in a transfer, I would have to presume that it would probably be somebody who would be eligible to play. Although then again, they, they do have a lot of guys kind of in the mix. So if they wanted to get a yeah. transfer and stash him like they did with Cole, that maybe that wouldn't be a a bad play. But I would. I, I can't imagine they would do that with both of those spots though. So no, definitely they're going to bring in somebody but, who's playing next year. Yeah, I think between. Yeah, you know, I, I would like to see another big like Mitchell, and then you know I haven't really looked at you know who's going to be in the transfer portal, admittedly, but if they get another scoring guard, um, someone who's, you know, I think they've got a lot of guys with a, a lot of potential to fill Booknight shoes, but if they can get someone who's a bit more established at the college level, someone who's who's got experience, um, you know, I think that would be a beneficial addition as well. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that. Somebody with who you know approximates Book Knight's skill set would feel like a good per, a good fit. You know, obviously yeah. you're not going to find a James Book Knight just in the transfer portal, but you know, just somebody who like can just slash to the rim, who can shoot a little bit, kind of does a lot of that little stuff. You know, a well-rounded player, obviously. And uh, you know, from what I understand, I think like isn't Jordan Hawkins kind of supposed to be a guy like that too, like to some extent? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and then you know, Andre Jackson with like a full. You know, a full season, a full off season, hopefully of, of work with the team. Maybe he'll develop a little bit more of a well-rounded offensive game. They should have options, but you know, it feels like if you're going to try to fill fill those roster spots, that would seem like a, a good way to go. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, you know we've kind of covered you know covered a lot of ground with the men. So I don't know any other any other things you want to cover here before we uh, give the women some uh, some some play. Yeah, just future's bright. I think that we need to keep thinking about the fact that this is still 
still a process, and we saw a really great jump this year, but there's still another level this team can reach. And you know, I like I like the guys they've got coming in. I think that they're going to be impact players. I like that they're also, you know, guys who are close with each other already. Um, we've seen video of Diggins and Johnson playing together in some showcases and stuff and getting all excited about being UConn teammates. They're hitting the recruiting trail and, you know, trying to get guys in. Uh, I know we've, we've, uh, we've read some stuff about, you know, them trying to, you know, hopefully looking ahead to 2022 with Donovan Klingon, um, still undecided and, you know, hoping that he could be a guy who comes in with that class with Corey Floyd. And if they can, you know, if you can get a five player haul over those two years, I mean, they'll, they'll have more spots probably, but, of Diggins, Hawkins, Johnson, Corey Floyd, and Donovan Klingon, you're if you can get him to stay home and play for UConn, you're looking like you're in really good shape. Yeah, and I can't wait to see how it looks. Um, but you know, you want to talk about you know recruiting wins in the last year or two and going forward. <laughs> Let's talk about the UConn women. Um, who, by the way, just before we even get into what's happening now, they just added a, a big time commit from the class of 2022. Uh, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I don't have her name in front of me. I believe it's Ayana Patterson. Is that right? Yes, I believe you're correct. Uh, and uh, one uh, thing I am three player in the class. One thing I am sure about is that she can dunk and that she is a protege of one LeBron James. Uh, so this girl can ball. <laughs> um, so therefore, UConn can look forward to another total baller to join a team that will, at that point, have an upperclassman, Paige Beckers, and a sophomore, AZ Fudd, which is just like, I mean, now we're talking about women's basketball Voltron here. Like, this, this that team, the team that right, right now's team is, like, really good. Like next year's team is just like stupid good, and like 2022 is like, <laughs> like it, it could be, if these girls are as good as advertised, we might be looking at UConn's best team ever. Like that could be like 2002 level good. So yeah. Um. Anyway, need, needless to say, uh, things are looking good for the women. Uh, things looked pretty darn good the other night. Uh, they were playing, you know, without Gino, who was you know still quarantining, uh, you know, and Shay Ralph had to go home because of her own COVID concerns, and they just absolutely manhandled High Point. Not a surprise, but still, you know, we've seen a lot of upsets and well, not, not, not actually not, not almost none in the women's tournament, but in the men's, ter- you know, we've seen a lot of upsets in basketball this month and UConn certainly, uh, kept, uh, kept that at bay and, uh, you know, looked pretty darn good. Um, how, what, did you have a chance to, to watch the, the whole game? Uh, I didn't get to see the whole game. Um, I saw most of the first half was really nervous when Nika Mule went down. So just. Hope it looks like she's probably not going to play in that and uh, the game against Syracuse, but hopefully, you know, I think it's a high right ankle sprain, and hopefully, it's nothing serious, and she'll be back for what could be the game of the tournament to that point, the Sweet Sixteen, if they play Iowa. Um, obviously, you have to get past Syracuse first, a rematch of a national championship game a few years ago, but um, different Syracuse team, and you know, I was it really caught my eye today when I saw that apparently the. Um, the player who would be responsible for guarding Paige Beckers hasn't really watched any film of her, which I get, you know, being, you know, being in a different conference, uh, not having to play UConn to this point, but, um, she's going to get an up close, uh, up close lesson, uh, tomorrow, I think is, uh, safe to say. To be fair, I'm not sure what she really gained from watching film of Paige. Cause all she'd see is just yeah. like, Oh God, like I have to guard that. <laughs> She'd see her own future. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Yeah, I mean, Paige was Paige was uh, was a beast the other night. Uh, Twenty four points, yeah. nine rebounds, six assists, four steals, two blocks, 
So, I mean, she was like flirting with like a triple double, obviously nine for 13, you know, from the field, you know, she only took two threes, you know, went one for two there, five for six from the line. You know, I mean, Hey, look, I mean, that is, you know, if you were at any concern about, you know, her, I guess, uh, you know, getting nervous in her first tournament game, that was clearly not an issue. And, uh, you yeah. know, down, down the list, not just her. No, go ahead. You were just about saying. Yeah, down Sorry. down the list, everyone played well. You know, uh, you know, Aaliyah Edwards, seventeen points, twelve rebounds. So she was she was a beast. You know, Olivia Nelson Adota, twenty two points, seven rebounds, four assists. By the way, pretty good. Uh, you know, uh, Kristen Will, uh, Williams and uh, Evina Westbrook were both in double figures as well. Uh, I mean, all the, all the, you know, the down the bench, you know, Sailor Poffenbarger even got in and, uh, you know, Piath uh, Gabriel, shout out to the, you know, the, the Merrimack Valley. Um, she, uh, she, they, they both got some action there. You know, obviously they was, they were never going to get threatened by high point, but even still, uh, certainly an encouraging, encouraging sign. And, um, you know, we were, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but like all of their games going forward have the potential to be pretty interesting. You know, Syracuse as a second round matchup is fun. Because, like, you know, it'd be great to see UConn smash them just for all time's yep. sake. You know, Iowa, you know, you you get that, you know, Caitlin Clark matchup in the uh, Sweet 16 if they advance. And apparently, you know, Paige and Caitlin, I guess, are, are I don't, maybe I wouldn't say they're close necessarily, but they know each other pretty well. And I guess they're, you know, have a relationship off the court. And then, you know, if, you know, in the Elite Eight, you would theoretically run into either Baylor or Tennessee, I guess. So that's fun. You know, I don't know. Any, any you know, <laughs> Obviously, you know we don't kind of don't want to prognosticate too much, but what are you, any any particular thoughts on uh, just the notion that like this? It's first of all, it's not a guarantee they're going to reach the final four, and at every step along the way, there's a reason to tune in beyond just like just you know beyond watching them for you know you know fan loyalty reasons. Yeah, no, I think you just summed up the the path perfectly. I think that this in general is already a really interesting uh, a women's tournament. I've got. I think when I looked at it, I ended up with like three two seeds in the final four, which just seems really weird by the women's tournament standards. We've already seen some big upsets. You know, Wright State took down, uh, or really has a chance to be the transitive property champion of the year if UConn goes all the way because Wright State knocked off the only team to beat UConn this year in Arkansas in uh, a I don't, 13 versus four matchups. So I don't really know whether, yeah, I don't know whether we should be like stoked about that or really annoyed by that. Cause it's like, geez, yeah. really? we lost to the team who lost to that. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, both, I mean, you know, I think it's, again, I always go back to this. I think it's, I think it was a good thing. They lost that game. They, you know, that was a team that again, when it comes to UConn, sometimes they win so many games that it gets to a point where they don't know how to lose or they're not used to being in those losing late-game situations. And, you know, this was one of those opportunities. And, you know, it's a, it's a learning experience, and now they know. And so when they come up against Baylor, when they fi- if they finally get that Baylor matchup, but, you know, Syracuse isn't going to be a pushover. Iowa is certainly not going to be a pushover. So it's, it's, an, it's a really interesting opportunity for UConn this year because I feel like whether they win the tournament or not, and I think this is a year, it's, it's been a while by our standards since UConn won a national title. And I think this is a team, I'm not saying they're not going to win, but it, it's a team that looks like it could end up falling short again this year. But this is a team with no seniors on it that's going to be even more loaded next year and is going to is looking at what could be one of its toughest tournament runs ever right now because the matchups at each level, like you said, are just so full of 
you know, full of storylines and so full of interesting matchups that this is going to be nonstop fun throughout the tournament, even if we're sweating while watching the games, you know, freaking out about whether they're going to win or not. This is a really interesting tournament for them. Yeah, I, I think it's great for the UConn, you know, women women's program to have, like, that kind of a drama-filled tournament run. And just, like, in, you know, kind of expanding out, like, Rice State beating Arkansas in the women's tournament is dope. Because, like, yeah. I feel like that's just not a thing that you see as much in the women's tournament. So for the, you know, the collective, like, you know, quality of the sport to elevate to a point where we start seeing these 13, you know, three or four match, you know, upsets and all these kind of just crazy things that we see in the men's tournament all the time. It, that would be great. And, you know, I think, you know, just kind of a thing like just the women's turn, like the, the women's, you know, women's March madness could, it's like one of the biggest untapped potentials, like in sports in general, like if that, if the tournament gets to a point where you can expect to see like, you know, upsets fairly regularly, I mean, you know, not to sound all like a degenerate here, but like, Sports gambling is like becoming more widespread and hey, if people are all of a sudden like, oh, hey, I can gamble on women's basketball and it'll be fun. You're, you're you have the potential to really like, you know, kickstart the sport in a way that like we've kind of been waiting for all along, like get some real interest. You know, March Mad like everyone loves March Madness and like there's no reason why the women's can't be as, as fun, too. But I mean, maybe a problem is just like the NCAA needs to start taking it seriously too. And then, you know, next, yeah. you know, if they have like a huge untapped, like, the, you know, not to make it about money, but like the, the, they have like a freaking cash cow on their hands and they're just not willing to milk it because they can't get out of their own freaking way. I think yeah. you can, you can kind of tell what I'm about to rant about. So I'll, I'll let you take yeah. the lead uh, since I'm sure you'll be a little bit more eloquent about it. Um, <laughs> the NCAA's treatment of the women in the tournament has been an absolute joke. Uh, between the, the weight room disparities, like the court, like they don't even use the March Madness branding. Like, what are they doing here? Ah, gee, take it away before I start start swearing on air. <laughs> it's embarrassing. I mean, I think we're we're very much of the same mind in the words we want to use and the words we can't use. Um, look, from from the day those teams started arriving in Texas, you saw that there was just a huge disparity, a huge problem, and from. From the just the look on the floor, the branding. I mean, it's embarrassing. Like the NCAA is going out of its way to remind you that you know. First of all, I want to be watching women's basketball, but to take this incredible March Madness branding that they have for the men, and then on the women's side, just slap women's basketball in giant letters across the floor, as if you didn't know that's what you were watching, and you know, it's it's ridiculous. And I think Chris Daly went on a rant about this today too or or just like commented on it like you know they should be giving like they should give that same treatment to this tournament and you know what it has been madness so far we mentioned the right state game but you know in the games so far today it looks like belmont a 12 seed knocked off gonzaga which yes gonzaga has a really good women's program too and we got ourselves a 5-12 upset in this tournament Rutgers knocked out as a six seed by byu an 11 seed so these teams, these high seeds, are coming to play against some of the better programs in women's basketball without the same resources. The Again, the, the branding on its own is embarrassing. The weight room situation is one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen in my entire life. And the fact that the NCAA thought they could get away with it is a joke. Um, 
the food situation. If you see some of the videos, especially like Sedona Prince at Oregon, like the whole Oregon women's team is putting out a lot of these videos and doing a great job of exposing just how ridiculous this is. They were like, they did a video where they were taste, taste testing the food and that was abhorrent. It was like, it made me want to, like, it made me wretch a little bit. Like it was, it was shocking. The testing for COVID is another one that is just truly embarrassing. They're using lesser quality testing that has already produced a bunch of false, false positive tests in the women's bubble that's leading to really big complications when they're using much better, higher standard testing in the men's bubble. Like, all of, and, and even just down to, you know, the lack of photographers and the lack of resources for media that are trying to cover this tournament, and they're putting up thousands of photos and all these different things, transcripts, which I thought were just, when I was covering, you know, when I was covering UConn sports, when I was covering the women's basketball tournament and stuff like that, I, when I was on site, I, all that stuff, like, it just felt normal to be, you know, to be getting readouts of the press conferences, to be getting access to all this different stuff, and now it's like they're treating it as this completely second-rate competition that is just not... Like, if you put the resources into the women's tournament that you put into the men's tournament, you're going to get what these women deserve and what this sport deserves, which is an outstanding showcase to show off the fact that there is incredible talent across the country when it comes to women's basketball. It's not just at UConn and South Carolina and Baylor and Stanford and Maryland. It is everywhere. And the more you put the resources into it, the more, like you said, you know, there's going to be more interest in it. People are going to watch it more because the interest is there. This whole thing is just complete shambles. And it's one of the most frustrating things. Like I was watching that game last night and I'm just seeing just the complete lack of disrespect that the NCAA has for these players, for these programs. And like that made it hard to watch at the same time. Like I was just so embarrassed watching that because of how how little the NCAA cares. And I think if there's any good to come out of you know, to come out of this year with the whole, with all the situations that have popped up and, you know, with them being in this controlled environment and with everything going on, I think it's that the NCAA can't hide behind this BS anymore. Like, they are getting rightfully exposed. And a great job to people like Russ Steinberg, our good friend who was exposing some of this stuff, and, you know, especially the players in the bubble and, you know, reporters all over the country who are really not letting the NCAA get away with any of this when Mark Emmert just seems to think and, you know, the other people at the NCAA think that they can get away with any of this stuff until there's a video on TikTok or something like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, Mark Emmert, his his entire NCAA presidency has just been one, it's been a a cavalcade of of screw-ups. That guy, if he has any self-respect, and he has none, so he won't, he, he should step down. But, you know, and, and for the record, this is an opinion I've, I've had since well before this, you know, stuff with women's basketball. This is just like just the, the latest domino and a whole career full of embarrassment. Uh, it, you know, so obviously he, he will he, he'll stick around for like another 20 years because he's a cockroach. But uh, anyway, man, it's yeah, it's needless to say it's a it's frustrating because like, you know, obviously, you know, kind of you know putting the resources towards the women's game is the right thing to do so that's the that needs to be set up top but like even from like you know what we'll just say like the more cynical reasons there's a lot of really good reasons why you should like allocate all the resources towards the women's game 
you know, even beyond, like, even beyond the, the because you're a good person type of reasons. You know, one, it saves you the embarrassment, because if you actually treated them like people, then they wouldn't be calling you out and making you look like a jerk. And you, you know what? And, you know, if you actually did it, you wouldn't, you know, be a jerk. And so you wouldn't deserve to be called out. So that's, there's 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 a PR rational rationale right there. You know, second, like it, it's it's like a, it's a massive competitive like, or what is it? What's the what's the phrase like, you know, an un, uh, uh, trying to trying to think of what it is, what I'm trying to describe here, like uh, a, a market inefficiency, you know, UConn is a perfect example of what happens when you take college women's college basketball seriously. If you put the resources towards it, treat it like a big deal, and you know, put very you know, you know, good good leadership in there with you know, good coaches and whatever it is that they need to succeed. Your team is not going to have. It's not going to take that long for your team to be better than everybody else because they aren't going to be putting as much you know resources towards it. So, hey, if you just, you know, care a little bit more than everyone else, next thing you know, your team is going to be good. And then you're going to be in the final four. You're going to start winning and you're going to be on TV and you're going to become a brand like it's not that hard. It wouldn't take that much resources to become a big player in women's college basketball because nobody else is treating it like it should be. So, you know, the NCAA as a whole, you know, hey, listen, it kind of works the same way for them, too, because, listen, you grow the sport then you'll have more good teams. If you have more good teams, you'll have more upsets. If you have more upsets, you'll have a more interesting tournament. If you treat the tournament like it's as big a deal as the men's, if you brand it the same, you give them the same resources, you give them all the, you know, the weight room and all that kind of stuff, you'll presumably have a, a more interesting product. You can sell that product, and then next thing you know, you can maybe take advantage of this sports gambling thing and make the Women's March Madness tournament a huge deal and make just gobs and gobs of money. It's so easy, and they just can't bring themselves to care. God, just, I should swear, you know, I should. That's what it boils down to. Like, it's not, it's just, they don't care. Like, all of the things you just said are things that, you know, anyone with a brain, anyone with a rational bone in their body can figure out, you know, and especially if they put, like, the simple thing for them, this nonprofit organization, they put the money into it, they will get more money out of it, like between all that stuff and with the sponsorships and everything. Like that's just like, you know, in the, a, a TV deal, when the TV deal renews with, with Disney, like that stuff's just obvious. And it's just clear that they just don't care. And that's the most embarrassing thing of all, you know, these people at this nonprofit where you have people making seven figures, high seven figures, they just don't care about this sport, and it's the most embarrassing thing. Like if, like you said, if you care, you'll you'll have a great product. Yeah, and listen, it's like it's it's a it's a huge indictment of their leadership as a whole because most of the like reasons I just laid down are like you know sound business strategies that will help like grow your brand. Do it'll do all the things that you know the quote unquote big business people say they want. You know, I like it's like one of those rare examples where, hey, guess what? You can both do the right thing and be a good person. And you can also like be a quote unquote like success in all the you know ways that, you know, usually are corrupting and, you know, ruin everything. You have the rare opportunity to just like do something that's just generally good. All it requires is a little bit of investment and a little bit of just just care a little bit, you know, and then guess what? Maybe if you actually care a lot, you'll get an even greater, you know, return on your investment. 
Like a lot, of, like yeah, it's not that hard. <laughs> a lot of us love basketball. We love men's and women's basketball. We want to watch both. It's the same for me with soccer. Like when when the U.S. women's national soccer team gets the respect it deserves in terms of being on TV, and this is both at the national team level and with the NWSL, and now. Just speaking today, there was a massive deal struck in England, a huge media deal for their top division, for their top women's division over there, which is a multi-million dollar deal that is going to give them even more exposure, which is going to grow their game that is already catching up to the NWSL, which was perceived to be the best league in the world. When you invest, you get good things out of it. And now, very quickly... That the women's league over there is becoming the best league in the world because there is investment and there is priority being put on most of these teams, and they're like they're willing to spend the money to make the money and to give you know to give these players the platform they deserve. In the last few years, the U.S. women's national team—it's not just about you know them winning the World Cup. People want to watch them. It doesn't matter when it is. Their ratings are just keep going up and up and up. The domestic league, their ratings are going up and up, especially now with the CBS deal for the NWSL. With the WNBA last year, all those games on ESPN and ABC, all the, you know, all the massive exposure, ratings go up. People are buying your products. The orange sweatshirt, sweatshirt is one of the greatest pieces of clothing I own. Like people want to, like people just want to buy stuff. They want to invest in your product. Let them invest in your product. Yeah. And I mean, that orange sweatshirt is fire. Honestly, that whoever I came up with it. that is it's brilliant. But yeah, and it then, looks great. And it's so comfortable. I bring I, I keep going back to the gambling thing, because like, that's like the counterpoint against the inevitable. Well, you know, people just don't care as much about women's sports. It's like, maybe so, but people will gamble on anything. So if you tell them yep. that there is like, you know, hey, guess what, you could bet on this, like, you know, this men's game that like, you know, a billion people are betting on and, you know, we'll, you know, the, the upside is marginal or, Hey, guess what? There's like, you know, a game over here that you could make way more money on because not that, not really anybody really knows anything about either of these teams. So, you know, Hey, competitive, you know, you know, market efficiency, whatever, take advantage. Guess what? You know, it, it, look, I'm just saying if, if, if sports gambling is going to like help drive the, like, you know, interest in women's basketball, like, feel like we should all embrace that. It feels like a no-brainer, and like yeah. more people should think about it. I feel like I should be charging. I should be charging like consulting fees to anybody who listens to this podcast. <laughs> if any actual decision makers are listening, you guys, you know, my you can my DMs are open. I say it at the end of every episode, so hit me up and like let's uh, let's make some let's make some money together. <laughs> oh man, you know I love you, and I am not trying to diminish any of the things you just said, but these are like elementary things that they should just understand without having to hire a consultant to tell them to do these good things. Well, to be fair, it's like, it's like, you know, sport, it's like, you know, the big business of sports 101 that you got to like hire like 14 consultants to make even the most obvious decisions. Like, yeah. So like DePaul, as they try to hire Porter Moser after the season. If yeah, it was about that. Yeah. (laughs) DePaul, like, you know, DePaul Marquette in Indiana that, you know, Porter Moser, like, I'd be fascinated, you know. I'd be fascinated to, to be a fly on the wall in those negotiations, and then watch him just stay at Loyola anyway, and leave all three in there. Yeah, the exactly. <laughs> but if I mean, if DePaul, I mean, you know, Marquette, I feel like would be more the favorite over DePaul. But boy, if DePaul could land him, that's now we're talking like that. That that would be sick. <laughs> yeah, the that idea, would be wild. <laughs> the idea of DePaul being good with a coach like that, man, that would be so much fun. 
Yeah. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? That would just be the most wild thing. He would, I mean, he would be staying in Chicago, so it would make sense. And, you know, this is a whole other podcast. But, hey, DePaul, you know, being in a city, they've got like a top 30 class coming in next year. I keep saying it. Them being bad in the Big East for so long is one of the most confounding things. Like, they, I feel like that's a program that should be good. And the fact that they yeah. haven't been as strange, but. It's all it's all there for them if they they want it. They just gotta get the right guy. So they currently have a higher ranked recruiting class for next year than Duke. I'm just saying, which is un which is wild. I love that. I <laughs> Shout out to the Big East recruiting. You guys are killing it. Yes, Tim. We feel like we should probably wrap this up. You have any other thoughts yeah, before I, we uh we we we, we uh, leave this one? Uh, without going down a rabbit hole, not really. Um, you know, hope we get that huge UConn Iowa matchup in the women's tournament. Um, invest in women's sports, watch women's sports. They are outstanding. They're so much fun. And when we get when we get back to being able to go to games, you know, some of my best memories are at the UConn women's games. Not just because the teams that I was watching were absolutely incredible, because I was there from the Maya Moore days to the Brianna Stewart days. Like, there's so much fun. Just like I can't get over the fact that people just don't understand that they are so much fun. And that you know. That's all I'm good. That's all I got to say. Yeah, sounds good. All right, well, well, we'll leave it there. Uh, we'll be back next week to talk about probably, I guess, probably the women because chances are, actually, uh, Tim, when when is uh you know when what's their schedule going forward? I think they play Syracuse tomorrow, right? Our uh, Tuesday. Yes. All right, and then I guess the yeah. uh, Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight would be next weekend in all likelihood. Yeah, the the twenty eighth and the thirtieth. Okay. Would be uh, the Sweet Sixteen and the Elite. Okay, so yeah, so we'll we'll be back. We'll we'll probably talk mostly about wherever the women are at that point in time, and uh, you know, see how things go. I guess you know, at, by that point, obviously, we'll we'll mostly. I think we'll know who's in the final four for the men too. So we'll uh, we'll get all into that. So yeah, you guys know the drill. You can follow me on uh, Twitter at Max Cerullo, M A C C E R U L L O. My DMs are open, and uh, if you enjoyed what I had to say, we can talk. Uh, you know, consulting fees. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you can email us at yesuconnpodcast at gmail.com and yeah, leave those five star reviews. And guys, can you believe it? We've been at this for a whole year. It's crazy. We, it's a it's an unbelievable year of UConn basketball and uh, hope to do this uh, for more for, you know, weeks, months, and maybe years to come. We'll, I guess, see how things go. But uh, you guys all... You've done outstanding stuff with the show. Thank you, man. Really, I really, really enjoyed it from the start. Well, you've been a big part of it. So you guys uh, all be good. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you all later.